listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Listen, I am not going to take a whole lot of time sort of dancing around. I got a few things to say, and I want to get to this interview. I want to get to this conversation because I liked it, and I think you'll, I think, I think it's going to be valuable. So bottom line, a few things. Here are a few things you need to know. Um, one is my buddy John Wright flew out to Cincinnati, spent a few days with me, and we revamped a bunch of things, fixed a bunch of things, changed some things on the website. Um, my website, bartkempola.org, is better um, and clearer and cleaner. Um, and we fixed some stuff on the Patreon page. And we actually redid the whole tier structure and came up with a whole new set of rewards for people in a whole new way to kind of, I, I don't know, just kind of to, to draw people in and make them feel as valued as they are. And so if you're a Patreon person, you should just like stop back at the page, check it out, see what's going to be different. Um, there's a, a new insider podcast like that we're doing for people who support the show. Um Kind of, kind of about the impact of the show because, you know, the people that are supporting it are making it happen. And we're so grateful for that. But like, there's a lot of cool stuff that, that happens in our audience or like things we find out about that are going on in people's lives as a result of the show. And so we're going to be talking about that on this, uh, on this little kind of insider thing. It's called Why It Matters. Um, but there's all sorts of stuff on Patreon and you'll dig it and check it out. We even made a cool new video. A little, little video that, uh, yeah, you, you might like. So more about that if you go over there. For now, the, I, 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 the other thing I wanted to kind of let you know about was that I was just out at the East Lake Church in Seattle. That kind of evangelical megachurch turned humanist mini church. Um, gosh, I love those people. And I love what they're doing. I mean, it is like looking into the future uh, for me when I think about people figuring out ways to gather and support each other in pursuing love as a way of life uh, in a secular way. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I I think if you go to the eastlakecc.org website or .com, I think it's .com, but the East Lake Church in Seattle, I think they even videotaped the service and it's up there. And we'll put a link at the bottom of uh, the show notes on this one in case you're interested. All right, that's it. That's enough of that kind of thing. Here's the deal. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking to Dave Warnock. I'm going to share with you a conversation I had with Dave Warnock, who most of you, like most of me, had never heard of. Um, But it turns out he's a kind of a former Arkansas preacher charismatic evangelical Pentecostal down there in the steep South doing the whole Jesus thing. And he went through a particularly weird and difficult deconversion, but that's not really what the show is about. What the show is about is, is that a couple of months ago, um, Dave got diagnosed with ALS. And so here he is this kind of, post-Christian who has kind of like his own journey that he's worked through. And, and he's kind of come up with a, a philosophy and approach to life like a lot of us have. 
And then all of a sudden it gets put to the ultimate test where they tell you, look, you're going to die really soon. How are you going to face up to that? How are you going to, how are you going to deal with people? How are you going to deal with yourself? And, uh, and one of the things that happened was he, he ended up going to live with a buddy of mine, Cass Midgley, who runs a lovely podcast called Everybody's Agnostic that I've been on. And they're friends. And Cass says, come on, come live with me, which is in some ways unsurprising to me, if you know Cass. And, uh, and Cass's team starts to go like, hey, we need Dave. Dave is doing something beautiful. He is dying in a really beautiful way. And he is living in a really beautiful day way. And we want him to tell a story. So Dave, Dave calls it dying out loud. And, uh, and they reached out to me and they said, Hey, would you, we think he would be a good person for your folks to know. And I, I was suspicious at first and not suspicious, like they're bad people, but like, I was like, ah, just cause he's got a tough story. Doesn't mean he knows how to talk about it. But I listened to him talking with David Smalley and I thought, yep, he does know how to talk about it. And I want to, I want to learn more. And so, uh, this conversation is the first time I ever talked to Dave in person. And by the end of it, I just thought he was a wonderful person. And I think you will too. So without any further ado, here's me and Dave Warnock chopping it up on Humanize Me. Man, you're doing a lot of these conversations, aren't you, these days? I am. I've been on like a a podcast tour, if you will. Yeah. You, are, are you tired of talking about yourself? You know, I it's I I think I must be a little narcissistic because I love the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, actually, I, I have brilliant things to say. I know. I just wish more people would listen. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny. My dad used to have this line when he would say he said. He would talk about a sermon where he was preaching so well, he wanted to take notes on him. <laughs> now, and, you know, uh, about the time I do think I'm tired of talking about it, I get on another one and I, I really enjoy the conversation. And there's always a little bit of a, a twist or a little variance to it. And so uh, it's just stuff that needs to be talked about, I think. You know, so I'm I'm really enjoying it, actually. It energizes me. I told Cass, every time I finish a podcast, I go out and I, I feel like I used to after a sermon, after, after church, you know, just this energy just piping through me. And I just thought, okay, so that's not God. <laughs> it's funny. No, no, that's a, it, it's interesting because like, on these podcasts that you're going on, where do do people know you before this this moment in your life, or is this the people you're you're talking to on these podcasts? Did they know you before you ran into all this stuff? No, very very few knew anything. I, I wasn't. Uh, it's interesting. I was talking to David Smalley doing his podcast, and and he said, "How come we never heard, ran into each other before? You know, I never did the ex ex pastor." get on the atheist speaking circuit, you know, I just kind of went off and, and started living my life and I didn't, I didn't really get into all that, you know, I just kind of, I got to know other, other ex-Christians, but I, I never did get to be known by anyone. I knew Ryan Bell and I knew each other just from an online Facebook uh, group, but uh, no, I've pretty much been introduced, you know, it, I guess it takes dying to get yourself out there, right? Well, you know, I mean, it is, it is, 
it is a tremendous focus focusing agent, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's uh, it really immediately makes you focus on what's important and and disregard everything that's not important. Yeah, I mean, had you? I mean, I mean, first of all, I, I've got like sort of a basic question, and I don't even know if this will make it in the podcast, but like. <laughs> I don't want to summarize your story for you. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So like when somebody says to you like, hey, Dave, what brings you here? Or like, how did you get to this moment in your life? How do you explain yourself? <sighs> it's a long journey. Um, I'm, I'm 63 years old and I served uh, Jesus for three and a half decades of my life uh, from the age of 18 to 55 or six. And the process of me letting go of religion, letting go of Christianity was a two or three year process of discovery and examination and questioning. But even before that, throughout my life as a Christian, I think there were times when I had questions that didn't have answers and things that bothered me that I kind of would disregard or push down or, or push to the side. Um, so there were a thousand little cuts that over the course of time had their effect on me to the point where I just finally just ran out of reasons to believe in God anymore. And, yeah. um, but were you, I mean, were you having an otherwise normal pastoral life? Like you were like, I went to college and, and then I went to seminary and I got married and had some kids and like, would, would, would your life have felt fairly conventional up until that moment? Nothing about my life has ever been conventional. <laughs> I, I, I did not have the traditional pastor arc. Um, I never went to seminary. I never went to college. I got radically saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, if, you, if you're familiar with that terminology, which can be, you know, all kinds of, all over the oh, map. Dave, I'm familiar with all of it, but I, I figured you were. <laughs> but... In the Jesus movement back in the seventies, it was it was sweeping the nation, following the hippie movement, and the dropping out and tuning in and all that stuff. And so, you know, we were Jesus freaks, and we preached on the streets and ran coffee houses. And so, because of that, at about the juncture in my life that I was going to be going to college and doing a normal career and getting a degree and having a normal life. Jesus interrupted that and basically hijacked me, the, the notion of Jesus, not him personally, but, um, and kind of derailed that and took me off in a direction looking back now that I kind of think, wow, what, what, what was that all about? So I, I just dis, I, I put aside any notions of college or where were you? I mean, where were you living? At the time I was living in West Texas in a little town in the panhandle. And then I spent most of my life after that in, in, uh, in Arkansas and then the last 25 years in, here in Middle Tennessee. But, uh, but just, I mean, like, like I had these friends who were in the rock band Servant. Yeah, I remember them. Sandy was like a, a grateful deadhead and Owen was like, you know, you know, schlepping around on freight ships, being a hippie. And, yeah. you know, and then they got swept up in the Jesus movement. And all of a sudden they were in this like, like intentional community and they started a rock band and they lived on a yeah. farm together. You know, like, like, did you, did you get swept up with a bunch of people? Yeah, I was caught up with a bunch of young people that were not a part of any church. It was just a home group thing. And it was just real exciting and a lot of energy and, you know, Jesus, Jesus was going to come back next week. So we had a lot of work to do. You know, it was all very 
urgent that we reach people and that we preach the gospel. And so because of that, it just, I spent the next few years just not even caring a bit about making money or having a career. So in that sense, I was a dropout yeah. in that I didn't, I didn't live on a commune. I had a friend who did, um, but I, in essence, I just kind of did odd jobs in order to pay my bills, lived with my aunt, lived with friends, lived with a, a widow lady, just didn't have any kind of traditional, you know, responsible life. And, and it was all because I felt like I wanted to give my time and energy to the kingdom of God. It wasn't until I decided to get married. I met, I met a, a woman at a Christian youth camp and decided, you know, that God had told me to marry her. And, um, so at that point, I figured I better get a real job, you know, and because <laughs> I'm going to have to, you know, play house. <laughs> and, and, and what real job did you get? I worked for a newspaper selling advertising. I've kind of always been in sales. So I was either selling something or selling Jesus or combination of both. Uh, my career, like I said, was not conventional. I would be on staff at a church or a lay leader. I did get ordained and licensed as a minister, but it wasn't like through a seminary. It was just, you know, in organizations that didn't require that. You know, you just, if you were called by God, they could ordain you and license you and that sort of thing. So it was I did Arkansas the marrying for crying the out loud. Yeah, nothing, nothing mattered there. <laughs> <laughs> you could marry your sister. So um, I, I it's mean, all that's okay. I mean, it's terrible. I'm going to get all sorts of mean emails from from Little Rock, uh, but it's um, the caricature of the state. I, I mean, I've I was raised there my whole life as a young young man. I mean, I went to school there. I only, I only lived in West Texas a couple of years, but the rest of my time was Arkansas and Tennessee. So I've always been in the South. You can tell by my accent. And um, yeah, Arkansas is just it. It's backwards in many ways. So uh, it's a reputation. Having lived there most of my life, that it's, I can say it's well-earned. What's funny is like in my preaching days, when I was running around, occasionally mm -hmm. I get invited to do some revival in someplace like Arkansas, you know, and I'd be in some little church and right. it was like that. Like, you know, th these people were really into it and they were working, you know, blue collar jobs to make ends meet. Yeah, um, right. And they were serving Jesus and trying to reach out to people and doing prison ministry and, you know, all, all this kind of good stuff, you know. And so you so I, I sort of I think I I think I kind of know the vibe that you were in. Yeah, that's you, you described it. It's just that, you know, the things of this world don't matter. It's all about the next world. It's all about the kingdom of God and and reaching people and uh, building building up the kingdom and serving Jesus. So it's. You know, it's it's just one of those things I was completely immersed in. You know, I didn't, I, I listened to Christian music, I read Christian books. I didn't, I feel like I missed out on what real, what what I now look at as, as real life. And I lived, I lived in this artificial bubble, this subculture. And, and that was, I mean, I was aware of things going on in the world. I just didn't participate in them. Sure. And, and the weird thing is, I mean, if you read, when you look back at it, I mean, at least for me, I look back at it and I go like, but that was real life too. Like within that subculture, there were politics and there were friendships and there was, you know, there was drama. It, it was almost like being in one of those video games where like there are a different set of rules. That's true. Yeah. You know, it's a different universe and, and gravity works differently. And like, but with, but 
within the rules of that universe, there was stuff going on. You're right. Yeah. That's the thing about a subculture. It's still a culture and it yeah. still has it still has all the dynamics of how culture works with people interacting with one another, but but it's just a different set of rules. And, and it's funny and because the, like I, I remember sometimes people who are on the other side of an issue with me in in stuff and and laying in my bed just being so angry or or, or thinking like they're gonna ruin everything. Mm-hmm. Don't they know what's at stake here? And I look back now and you know you think like we were fighting over magic. Right. Um, <laughs> Which but what's funny is if if I met that guy today, I'd still be mad at him because like yeah, he really. did screw me. He, he I see. He, I see. You know, like it was a real conflict and there and and like within the world that we were in, according to the rules of that game, he was supposed to treat me one way and he treated me another way and that was wrong. And you go like right. the, part, the whole thing was wrong. And I go like no no no. Exactly. No. It's it's not it's it's still there's still within the within the within the parameters there were there were people that were good and trustworthy and there were people that weren't good and trustworthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I, I, that's a good point. I, I remember think uh, this experience when I was on staff. I was an associate pastor of a church, and the worship leader uh, heard me preach a sermon on uh, somewhere in my in my. Uh, message I was giving forth the notion that you can lose your salvation. And he was from a Baptist bent. Uh, we were charismatic in that church, but he took issue with that. And he, in his Bible study the next week, preached the exact opposite thing of, from me. And, and it didn't call me out by name, but essentially con- con- contested my point with his group and i remember going to him and saying you can't do that that's that's subversive that's you're going against the authority in the house here and and we had this big row about once saved always saved or not and the real the real thing is it's it's not even a thing <laughs> right right but like in, in that in that context he was still if wrong. Some, you're right. He still yeah. he still violated the rules of the game. Yeah. You're right. And 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 that might have hurt your relationship with a buddy of yours, or you might have counted on somebody to do something. And like you, you end up really being disappointed or really being sad or really feeling let down. And so it's it's so weird. It's like Well, human you know, behavior is yeah, human behavior is still good and bad and right and wrong, even within yeah. the context of a subculture that deals in things that aren't true. And that's why, you know, I mean, it's funny, like, I remember my dad saying that when I was a little boy and I lost my security blanket (laughs) and I was just bereft in the backseat of the car because we had left it somewhere. And and he said, you know, at that moment in time, he would have paid $500 for that security blanket. And he's like- and you go like, that's ridiculous. So it isn't worth $500. And he goes like, no, no, no. In the world of our family at that moment, that would have been worth it. Right. You know, and, and that's the thing. Like things have value kind of in, in their own context. Everything's contextual. Yeah. You know? We have, but, things have value because we give them value. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so, so you lived in that world. I did. Till you were 55 years old. Let's see, yeah, about 55, 56. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit sketchy in terms of exactly when that world crumbled and I entered into a, a world where the sun shone brightly. Um, 
so yeah, somewhere along in 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 that era, um, about eight nine years ago, I would say. And 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 was there a catalyst for your deconversion? Yeah, there's there was an ev- there was a series of events with the church I was on staff at, and the pastor essentially turning my daughters against me, and when he he fired me for independence, which I, I'll say is probably. I'm guilty as charged. I'm an independent yeah. soul. Um, but in that church, in that context, you couldn't be because it's more like a cult than it was a church. And my daughters were are married to men at the time who were who they're married to men who were at the time interns in that program uh, where they were being groomed to be young pastors. And so when he fired me, he really went on a on a tear against me uh, among the people there and especially the the staff. And really denigrating me and, and essentially telling everyone that if you have anything to do with this guy, you can't be in this church. You can't be serving God. You're you're going to be fighting against God. Essentially putting my daughters in the position of having to choose between God and their father. And they, being the good Christian women they were, chose God. And so essentially for the better part of a year or two, they were shunning me and my wife at the time. Um, and 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 in that season, I was... Still a Christian, mind you. I was still serving God, but I wasn't doing it according to His uh, parameters, and so I was. I was a, a reprobate. I was an outcast. I was needing to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, which was a verse that was literally used against me. Um, and so I was crying out to God for help, and I was crying out to the denomination that the church was a part of, and to local church leaders. And I just started thinking, wow, there's nobody here helping me. And God, you're not even helping me. And where are you, God? Are you even there? Have you ever even been there? And it really f- caused me to finally sit down and think, wait just a minute. Let me examine this thing a little more closely. Because I'd never stopped and examined it. I'd always just taken things as they were presented to me at face value. The Bible's the Word of God. Okay, let me read that. Okay, it's got all the answers. Good. I'll just take it. And go with it. I never studied on how the, how the Bible came to be, how church happened, church history. And if you start looking into that, it gets pretty ugly pretty quick. And and I started really examining the Bible itself and, and uh, really breaking it apart, looking at the contradictions and the inconsistencies and really examining the stories um, for, you know, because at that up until then, I considered the Bible the inspired Word of God. It was... It was God's word. It was real. It wasn't just a hypothetical storybook. It, it was it was what God had given to us to live by. And once that went away, the rest of it fell away pretty quickly. So over the course of a and, couple and you know of years, I really examined it. Yeah. People sometimes want me to tell about my deconversion story. And I was like, oh, man, deconversion stories are boring. They're like, there's four very variations of them. And they're all the same. Yeah, there's not a lot of ways this happens. Yeah, and 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 that one where you kind of get screwed over by the by somebody in the church. Yeah, and that causes you to sort of go like, well, let me look at this thing. That right. you know, that's not my story, but that but but I've heard that story before. Um, and so and then that when, allows that allows people to then come back to you and say, well, you're just mad at God. That's what's wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you didn't, and, and I'm I'm saying no, I'm I, you you can't be mad at somebody you don't think's there. So that's well, you're yeah, wrong. and 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 I think sometimes people don't realize that the frustration at God not showing up for you sometimes makes you then like that may be what gets you 
looking at 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 different evidence or different right, ideas. Right. But but then that evidence and those ideas take over and they do their own work. Exactly. See, I mean, it was funny, Dave, for somebody like me, I never got hurt. Church was wonderful yeah. to me. Everybody was great. I had, had, you know, clear sailing the whole way through. The ideas eventually themselves, I, I, I got hold of ideas and started, you know, it was the internal inconsistencies um, right. that got to me. But, but I know a lot of people who the internal incons- inconsistencies never raised their ugly head to a very high level until they got screwed over. Right. It, it, there has to be some kind of an impetus or a catalyst, like you said, to cause you to even ask the questions. Yeah, uh, sure. But the, the point, the, 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 the gist of it is you, you have to ask the questions. And some people are just not curious enough about things and they, they don't, well, they're afraid of the questions because they're afraid of the answers. And, and, and that's the thing, like, it sounds like your daughters and, and that church, they sort of turn their back on you and your wife, like the two of you were out there together. Mm-hmm. And so you start questioning and asking questions. Was your wife asking the same questions with you? Were you like tracking through this part of it together? No, nah, she she couldn't let herself do that. She watched me do it and she knew it was real. She saw it happening to me. It's And, and that's how I put it. It was something that was happening to me. It's, it wasn't something I was looking for i did i did not want to lose my faith it it, right. it was very traumatizing for me and because i knew no one who had done this i knew no one who had gone through this so she had a front row seat to my deconversion process and i would process it with her because i'm very verbal and i would go over things with her and talk about things and i would you know share my thoughts and questions but she would always run back to where she felt safe, and the security blanket is very much an analogy that that fits here, because there was a couple of times at several conversations that it would it would come down to something, and she would end up saying, "Well, I just want to believe because it makes me feel better," and I said, "Okay, then that's it. That's that's really the bottom line here." Um, but no, she wasn't able to track with me, so it it caused us eventually to we divorced a, a, two or three years ago, and. Uh, it was my choice to do that because uh, even when I, even when I, uh, she, she, she was ostracized with me because she stayed with me. Uh, this place was so cultish. They expected her to divorce me because I no longer believed in God. Once I let go of God, then they doubled down on their, on their shunning tactics. And, and because she stayed with me, they shunned her. So we went through five or six years when I was a, a, a non-Christian and she was a Christian and she was not able to see her kids and her grandkids either. Um, and it was, it was brutal. It was, it was very hard to watch that. And so that was one of the catalysts that caused me to, to exit the marriage and move on with my life and let them get back on together with their lives, which is what's happened. Did she reconcile with the daughters and yes, she got re 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 like put back into the matrix. Yep, she was welcomed back in. I I, I don't know the details because I don't have to contact much with any of them. But my son is still good with me. He never did shun me. He he was younger. He was away at college, so he didn't get caught up in it. But they have welcomed her back. She's had time with the grandkids, time with them. I see, you know, I see, I hear through friends and stuff, and I see stuff on Facebook or whatever that you know they're doing this and doing that, and I'm really glad for that. I, I hated what it did for her. I didn't, I didn't wish this on her. I mean, she had nothing to do with it. It was me that went through the changes and 
she's a really good person and I, I wish her all the best. And I'm really happy that, that they have that. The funny thing about that is there are consolations to the faith. You oh, know, yeah. The, and, and, then, and then there's a price you pay. And there are consolations to being secular. Like there, there are moments at which it's, you know, I'm so grateful to not have to apologize for God in this situation. Or there's, there's a joy in sort of feeling responsible or the dignity of fe- taking responsibility for your own life. There, there are yeah. these, you know, or, or even just like not ha- like in some ways, the thought of eternal life was kind of like, that's a, a weird and like terrifying thought. You know, it you is it's terrifying out. on both sides. I mean, yeah, it's terrifying to think of hell, but it's also terrifying to think of what the hell is heaven going to be like? Are we going to sit around forever and sing Hosanna? That's that, a long exactly. time to sing a song. That sounds it, horrible. <laughs> no, and, 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 you know, every fictional portrayal of eternal life that you'll ever see, it, it's it's a prison. It's a nightmare. It's a, it's, it's a terror. And yeah. so. You know, so there are constellations on both sides, but the weird thing is, is that there are these poor people, and it sounds like your wife was in that space for a while, where she's getting neither. Oh um, yeah, that's a good point. She was not getting the benefits of her faith, and 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 paying a severe price uh, with the family with personal things because of me, and yeah. and to her, you know, she just wanted to stay faithful to me, and and I. You know, I didn't, we were definitely not on the same page. I mean, you can't, and I remember late in the game, I remember saying several times to her, listen, I just can't, I don't think I can continue to be with someone who thinks that it's okay that there's a hell that God created. It thinks, thinks it's okay that, that millions of people in the world, just because they were born in the wrong place, don't get to go to heaven like like the people who were lucky enough to be born in God's country, America. You know, I just can't can't continue to coexist with that ideology. And this is all before you get sick. Exactly. Yes. So your timing was brilliant. Got yourself yeah. all isolated. No, you know what? I've I've been asked a couple of times. I've got an incredible community of ex-Christian atheist here locally and also around the country really around the world that we connect on on uh, social media um i'm sure glad that god created facebook so we can all be friends oh please man oh please, please. <laughs> but you know i've got this amazing community of people that have just filled my life with so much uh happiness and and community and love and life and i've wondered what how I would feel right now if I'd gotten this diagnosis a few years ago when I was still miserable living a life where I didn't feel like I was authentic and honest. I was kind of in secret with some people, just kind of downplaying my lack of Christianity and my atheism and and, and li- living a, a life that wasn't authentic and honest. And then if I'd gotten this and never had gotten to live as an authentic person, even if it's been a short, it's only been a couple of years that I've lived on my terms, in my way, doing what I want to do um, and and being honest with myself and with everyone in my life. I'm really so, glad I got to do that. And and so then were, were you, were you, when you and your wife were last together, like when you were right before you ended up getting divorced. And it sounds like you you realized like, I got to let this woman go and I got to get myself free. I got to get myself to a place yep. where I, you know. Um, 
where were you living when that happened? Uh, just south of Nashville. And, and so what I did, I, I went, I call it my beach time. I, the way I, the way my insurance business worked, I can work from anywhere. So when I knew I was going to leave the marriage, it was, it was the winter time. And I thought, you know, I got to go somewhere and reboot things, you know, and get, get my head clear. And I, so I went to live at the, in the Gulf coast. Uh, I, I rented a condo for about two and a half months on the, on the beach. Cause that's my place. The beach is my space where I breathe best. And, um, and I spent hours upon hours upon hours when I wasn't working, um, walking the beach, sitting in at the balcony, looking at the ocean, reading, writing, listening to music, just getting my head in a new space, knowing that, okay, I'm closing the door on this life that I've had for decades and I'm, I'm closing it firmly behind me and I'm opening this new door and, and I, I, I need to know what that looks like. And, and the, the, Thing I, the big thing I came away with from my beach time was, was uh, an epiphany that is simply this, that life is nothing but a collection of moments. There's no big grand scheme. There's no big plan. It doesn't all fit together in some orchestrated plan that God or anybody else has for you. It's just a day filled with moments, and we have to grab as many of the good moments as we can. And I began to live that way. And I had a plaque on my bookshelf. I moved into an apartment. When I came back to Nashville, I moved into an apartment downtown. And I just began to rebuild my life as a single man. Um, had a great time. Uh, but I had this, this plaque, this little plaque that says, we do not remember days. We remember moments. And I really believe that's true. When you think of events in your life, they're all, they're all about a, a moment in time. That, that you mark and that you remember and that, that stands out to you. And I just started living for moments and, and making the most of them. And, and another thing I had on my, in my apartment was a pillow that said carpe the fucking diem. And I really was living that way, Bart, for the, for the last couple of years. It was, it was the first time I ever felt like I was, because as an 18 year old, I never got to live my twenties. I never got to live as, you know, a person who's, discovering who they are in life and, and setting the course of life they want, that all got hijacked by Jesus. And so for the first time ever in my 60s, here I was living what I felt like was my authentic life. I was more comfortable in my own, in my own skin than I'd ever been. I was more at peace, happier than I'd ever been. And then, you know, boom, here we go. We got this new thing that pops up. And I'm thinking, oh, come on, really? <laughs> You got to be kidding me. Yeah. So, so what happened? How did you get diagnosed? Like, how did how did you figure out that there was something going wrong? Yeah, ALS is one of those weird diseases that is very mysterious and very um, hard. It's not like you get a stabbing pain in your chest or your gut, and you go to the doctor and they say, "Wow, you've got a tumor." You know, it's this gradual realization that something's wrong, and it started in me with my fingers. I I, I realized I started having trouble forming certain letters and words on my, when I would fill out an insurance form and it had to fill it, put it in a small space, I realized, okay, this, this is difficult. Why is this difficult? And, you know, you think carpal tunnel syndrome, you think arthritis, you think this, you think that, and you start exercising more. And I realized my hands were getting weak and, you know, over, and this was probably a year or so of, of little symptoms becoming bigger symptoms and weakness in my hands and arms 
And then moments when you realize, okay, something's really off here. I can't, I can't grip a bowling ball. I've tried to go bowling once and I could not grip the ball. I could not grip a golf club. I've played golf my whole life. Um, things like that where you go, okay, this is Sometimes. really not good. Yeah. So you get on Google. You know, not only did God give us Facebook, he gave us Google. So there's that. Um, so you get on Google and you read all kinds of stuff. And it could be this and it could be that. And I knew ALS was on the table. Uh, there were enough symptoms that were that were compatible with that that I thought this could be part of it. Uh, it could be a pinched nerve. It could be this. So I, after right after the first of the year, January, I, st- I knew that once I started going to doctors, it would be a, a process. First of which year? Uh, this year. January of 2019. So I went to my PCP that's dictated by my insurance plan. Uh, He referred me to a neurologist. He referred me to another one, series of tests, and a few tests later. And the neurologist says it's called an EMG where they measure the nerve muscle communication. And he said, this test is conclusive. The results are immediate. And I said, you're not going to bullshit me, are you? You're going to tell me the straight poop. And he said, yeah. And I said, do I have ALS? And he said, yes, you do. And then he paused a minute and he said, I hate to give you this diagnosis, but you have ALS. And that was February 26th. And I went home and I thought, okay, well, my life just changed. And it did. I started putting things in process to change change the way I was living. And, and, and okay, so like, you know, People always, I mean, that's, that's an old dinner party question. Like if somebody told you, you have a couple of years to live, what would you do? What'd you do? Yeah. Well, I, I, I was working on a series of projects with my, uh, an agency I was working with and I've closed out the week with that, handed off clients to another agent, told them I was retiring, um, made plans to move out of my apartment into a house with friends um immediately began to simplify my life in terms of stuff selling and giving away things um that I wouldn't need anymore I knew I would never play the guitar again so I sold my Martin guitar sold my golf clubs just started tr- trimming trimming the sales and um because I was going to make plans and I have made plans and I'm doing this to travel to places I haven't been see things I want to see, spend time with people I care about and want to spend time with. And on the converse side of that, don't spend time with people I don't want to spend time with and just do the things that matter to me because immediately everything else became unimportant. Um, and so that's what I, you know, I, I've uh, doing these podcasts, going to speak at different uh, events and, and community gatherings, um, writing a book, I'm doing a documentary, um, talking about uh, not only ALS, but ALS as an atheist, dying out loud, not being afraid of death, uh, and embracing it and looking it in the face and living your best life, grabbing the moments, uh, carpe the fucking diem, those kind of ideas. I'm talking a lot about that. And I want to do that as much as I can, um, as long as I can. Had you thought a lot about this? About death? Had you thought a lot about dying before you got the diagnosis? No, I don't think most people think much about death. I think it's one of these things we like to not think about. Um, I mean, we all know it's going to happen. 
Um, we don't know when or how. I, I have become a believer in death with dignity. And I'm, I, even before I got this diagnosis, I was always a proponent of giving people uh, the power to choose uh, if, if they're terminal, if they're in a situation that's not going to get better, they should have the power to choose how that ends and not have to be drug out because of religious ideas into a place that's that's horrible. Um, how is that in Tennessee? Like, is that are you in a place where you're going to have the where you're going to have that power? Bart, it's Tennessee. Come on, there's a few states that are worse than us, but not many. I mean, it would have to be Alabama or Mississippi or maybe even Arkansas. Right. But so, no, we're so very backwards. Do, so what do you do? We're very we're very red here. Um, I've looked into options. I've found this out. This organization called the Final Exit Network. It's a nonprofit organization, and it's it's they enable you to die with dignity on your own terms in your own place. You don't have to go to a state where it's legal. They uh, help you. Uh, it you're essentially committing suicide, but the reality is that's not illegal. Uh, well, no, no, no. My, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law just passed, and she okay. voluntarily stopped eating and drinking. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Well, th- this is a different method, but there's that also is is one way to do it. This is a a nitrogen-assisted hood that you put on. Nitri- not nitrogen-assisted, but the hood. Uh, uses nitrogen to extract the oxygen and you basically uh, go to sleep and don't wake up. So, um, but that's that's the option that I will consider when the time comes that my life's functionality is not at the level that I want it to be. Yeah. Um, but I want to continue to live as long as I can. I don't ever want anybody to think listening to me that I love death or that I relish the idea or that I'm, I have a death wish or anything like that. I will absolutely do everything I can. And I'm doing that in terms of exercising and uh, looking for uh, opportunities for um, tri- medical trials that I can get involved with. Um, I'm open to whatever is going to assist me in keeping me functional as long as I can be. Um, I'm still talking fairly well. I'm still able to walk. Um, it's mostly in my hands and arms that I'm losing my strength. Um, so I'm going to keep doing what I can do as long as I can. And only when it gets to where I, I'm just not able to function at a level that makes the day worth living. Um, and, and that may be a long time from now because there's a lot of life that's worth living, even if you can't walk, even, even if you can't talk well. And so uh, I'm not. I'm in no hurry to exit this world. I love this world. I love life. I love people. I love community. I love humanity. I love conversations. I love sex. I love all the things that make life good. I love a good cigar. I love to have my bourbon. I love a good meal. I love seeing a sunset at the ocean. I mean, I don't want. And and, and that's when I lose my shit. Is when I start thinking about. This may be the last time I do this. You know, this may be the last sunset I see. This may be the last dinner party I go to. And and that's when it really crashes in on me that this thing is really is really going to take that away from me. And and, and that's when I kind of get pissed. <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm thinking it's funny like as I'm listening to you Talking about those things, I was thinking about this book I read years ago called Tuesdays with Maury. Yeah, I read that book. 
And, great book. Isn't that a great book? Yeah. And and that was very helpful to me. And one of the things I, I always remember, uh, it was the old man, you know, Maury, the professor. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember him saying that there comes a point in our lives where we just start losing things. Like it's all losing. You're, you know, when you're a little kid, you're gaining ability, you're gaining strength, you're gaining knowledge. Yeah. You know? And That's then he says, there phrase. comes a point where you cross over and like, you don't gain anything. Um, yeah, they're all losses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, his sort of analogy, his, his, his big moment is like, there's going to come a moment when I can't wipe my own ass. And, yeah. um, and, 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 and the kind of the insight that he gained was that you could either be bitter about what you had lost or you could be grateful for what you still had. Right. And, but, but then he even took it one step further. This was the thing that was amazing to me was like, and you can be grateful for the, the thing that you lost that you ever had it at all. And so the idea that like you may not be able to walk anymore and you watch somebody else walking down the street and you go like, man, I loved walking. Yeah. I'm grateful I got to walk for as many years as I did. You know, like I hope that guy's really enjoying walking. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? No, that's a good, that's a really good perspective. And that's the attitude we have to have if we're going to stay mentally healthy about this kind of stuff. Because if you do focus on the losses, um, then it'll, it will drive you into a bad place. And and by and large, I don't do that. You know, I, I didn't realize that I'm talking to a man who's been thinking about this stuff since February. Right. You know, like, this is kind of like, this is all new to you. Yeah. Yeah, it's very new. And the thing is, like, the reason I'm talking to you is not because we're old friends. is because all your other friends, it feels like they're just, like, hustling up opportunities. for. They're like, Dave's going through this thing. He's really dying out loud. Like, he's into it. He's trying to live his life in the – and, you know, and he wants to talk. And, you know, all these people are like, you need to talk to Dave. You need to talk to Dave, you know. (laughs) And um, so your shills are working. But, but, but as I'm listening to you, what I'm finding myself wondering is, okay, so you're new into this. Like, who's been helpful to you? Like, have you, have you been reading like Man's Search for Meaning and Tuesdays with Maury and like breathe? What's the one about breathing? Uh, are you reading all this stuff or are you just figuring this stuff out on your own? No, I, I think I'm just, I'm not reading any of that stuff. I, I don't think I... I already have that mindset. It's not like I'm saying I've got it figured out. I don't want to come across that way. But this is stuff I've already settled. This is a settled issue with me. I am not afraid of dying. I posted on Twitter yesterday, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of not living. And that's my point in that. And in some ways, I've been saying that in some ways this is a gift. Because as we said at the outset, I get this glimpse into the into the window of my ending that most people don't get. And so it allows me to peel away all the periphery stuff and just focus on what matters. And so that's what I'm trying to do and that's what I'm trying to talk about is the 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 stuff that matters. Make it matter. Make it count. Don't miss the moments. They're they're happening all around you and and we're getting caught up in shit that doesn't make any difference. And so don't get caught up in it. And so with me that's this is kind of just accelerated a mindset that I already had uh, in, in the sense of living your moments and making the most of them and maximizing the life we have because it's short, it's brief. This is the only one we know we have. 
and we have to make it count. So be intentional about it and, and look for that. Look for those those relationships that matter and then invest yourself in them and and spend the time with the people that that deserve your time and that you deserve their time and, and make those things beautiful because they are. So that's, I guess it's, I'm not reading that stuff because I can't, I think I've already been living there. Yeah. You know? That, that brings me to a real practical question for myself. People that follow this podcast, like it's called Humanize Me because the idea is I try to talk to interesting people and try to draw out of them something that I can use to be a better human being. Right. You know how like when you, when you have friends who are black or friends who are, you know, trans or whatever, one of the questions you ask is like, okay, what does it mean to be a good ally? Like, what can you, what do people on the outside get wrong that irritates the hell out of you or that hurts you, you know? And I guess, I guess I'm wondering if you've, you've probably figured out, like, there are some people that are more safe or comfortable for you to be talking to. And then there are other people that like, it's harder. What is it that makes somebody a good friend to somebody with a chronic or a terminal illness? Like what, what, what do you want from the rest of well, us? What you, what I don't want is your thoughts and prayers. Um, <laughs> what, what I, what, what's been interesting to me is the reaction to this from the, the contrast between my Christian family and cause most of my immediate family, my brother, mother, sister, daughters, uh, other family members are Christians, evangelical Christians, the world I came out of. And then contrast their reaction with my atheist and agnostic and humanist friends. And uh, it's it's a stark contrast. And so what I really appreciate is when people get into my pain with me. They crawl into, they don't run from this thing, they run toward it. Is the is the way I put it, um, and so what they're doing is they you know just even upon hearing the, the the news, getting the news, the difference was stark. You know, my brother, my mom, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you every day. You know, which to me is passive aggressive because they know how I feel about that. But nonetheless, that's what they do, and then the, that's all they can do. And, and they really don't know how to embrace it. They don't know how to embrace this life. And because they're so caught up in the next life that they think is coming and their, their focus is on eternity. And so we're on healing. Yeah. The, the fantasy that God may heal me. Right. Yeah. The fantasy of healing sometimes keeps them from like, we're going to beat this. We're going to, you know, we're going to beat this. Like God's going to, and, and well, so it's they, a, it's a denial. Yeah. It's a, they're so afraid of death. That they operate in a sense of denial of death. And, and I've realized that Christians of all people should welcome death. They get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. They're going to be dancing on go, streets of gold, but they're not in a hurry to die. They're, they're avoiding it with every breath they breathe. And they're so afraid of it and there's a denial of it. And so they don't know how to embrace it. And so my atheist friends just, they just, they say, listen, man, we, we're, we're heartbroken. We hate this. This sucks. We love you. What can we do? We want to be there. Let's spend some time together. One dude that's going through a divorce, he says, when I get my settlement, I want to, I want you and I to take a trip wherever you want to go. We're on me. It's my treat. I just want to, I just want to spend some time doing something with you that you really want to do. And my son, dad, where do you want to go? Where, where have you not been that you want to go? Let's, let's go. Let's take some trips. You know, they crawl into it with me. They don't run from it. And that's what I appreciate. It's not something 
And I'm the one around people that make jokes about dying. You know, it makes them uncomfortable, but I don't care. I'm the one that's dying, so <laughs> just suck it up, buttercup. But, you know, we'll be out drinking, and I'll say, hey, we're uh, you're going to get this, right? You're not going to make a dying man by these drinks, are you? And of course they're not. So, you know, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I just like people that can be real with me. Uh, it is what it is. Let's face it. Let's deal with it. Let's make the best of it. And, and let's don't pretend that it's that it's something else or that it's not a thing. And that's what really uh, I appreciate the most. So, so you're dying. Yep. And, and you're, you're, you're more aware than the average bear of how how short your time is um it's funny it's funny i I saw a quote the other day where somebody said like the most surprising thing in the universe is old age nobody sees it coming (laughs) yeah um and 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 doesn't sound like you're gonna get to that's funny you're you're gonna miss out on that but you, you but you're not missing out on the awareness that your time is incredibly short right and a lot of times when i've been with people who are dying older people that are dying they're obsessed with reconciling certain relationships mm-hmm. with letting people know that they love them with, with forgiving people that have harmed them. Is, is there any part of it? Do, it doesn't sound like you really have access to the people that you would want to be reconciled with. No. And I've done, my, I've lived that way. Um, a lot in the past years. Um, there's nobody that I could say that I'm at odds with that I need to repair something with. I've made efforts to interact with my daughters and be in relationship with them. I've I've begged them, and there's nothing more I can do there uh, in, in terms of of reconciling with them. I mean, their view is that that we, they need me to repent and return to God, and that's just not something I can do. I don't have the ability to oh, do that. I, yeah. I, I, it'd be like asking me to grow a, a finger out of my forehead. I can't do it. It's just not possible. So there's nothing I can do there. So I'm really at peace with with anyone in my life. Um, the people who are concerned about my soul and concerned about my atheism, that's not to be unkind, but that's on them. Uh, they have to sort that out. I'm here. This is who I am. And, and I'm living my life in the open and, and I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable or if you don't like that. But if you would want to have a conversation about it, I will. I'd be happy to, but I'm not going to change who I am or how I live to make you happy, to, to make you more at peace with that because that's not authentic. So I'm really, I don't have any scores to settle. It's all, I'm good. I mean, I really am. Um, I, I really, I, I don't want to oversell. No, I mean, this. you sound good. I don't want. Yeah, yeah you, you, you I don't know. want to oversell it. I don't want to, and I want to come across like, oh, no big deal. I got this. Um, but I'm really at peace now. There are moments that I go, oh shit, this stuff really is bad, and it really sucks, and I'm really sad or angry, and especially when I'm with my girlfriend, and we just, we just think, oh my god, this is going to get ugly, and you know. But I, overall, I'm a very positive peaceful person and i love life and i'm living it as hard as i can as well as i can i'm leaving tomorrow to go to new york city for five days to see my son and his wife and then i'm going from there to italy for about seven days eight days um i'm 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 living life have you ever been to italy no oh man 
That's going my favorite to, place. Going to Rome, Amalfi, Naples, all the things. Oh, uh, you know, it, 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 like an ALS, it, it hasn't messed with your taste buds yet. Oh no, it really won't. There's oh, that's 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 yeah, a blessing. There's several things that are are blessings in this, to use a religious word. Um, but it's it's a there's a lot of things it doesn't affect. And so I'm really grateful for that because, you know, as much as it takes away from you, there are, there are things that it leaves you with that, that can help you continue to enjoy life. Well, then good to go to Italy now because yeah. the, the That's what I'm trying to do. Is... I'm trying to do as much as I can while I can. The thing that I just keep coming back to that I, I, I just can't talk about enough is the concept of, of, the shortness and the brevity of life, the value of life, the beauty of it, and just not missing it, just living it as as well as you can with as many people as you can that that you love and that love you and and share those moments and don't get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter because um, it really it really will you know you've heard we've all heard it said that at the end of it we don't regret the things we did, we regret the things we didn't do. And so take that extra moment with that person, uh, spend that, spend that money to do that thing that you didn't think you could do because you don't know when you're going to get to do it. Um, it's, it's a short, it's a short, beautiful life. So that's it. That's me and Dave Warnock. And, uh, and, and and my new friend, I should say, Dave Warnock. And I'm going to be following him. Um, and I'm going to be checking in with him. And uh, he inspires me and makes, and, and makes me, gives me hope that um, as I approach my own inevitable demise, that uh, I can also keep the faith that this life alone is worth celebrating, worth living, worth doing to the max. And that the way to do it to the max is by loving other people and by being grateful and by trying to do stuff that makes a difference for other people. And yeah, I, I just thought Dave did something for some other people by sharing his story with us. So I hope you dug it. Hey, I don't know if you know this, but every week, I send out, when, when we send out, put up the podcast, I send out an email to anyone who's on the mailing list. And I'm trying more and more to make those emails like a little kind of a humanist devotional, you know, kind of like a moment of reflection. And uh, I would love to share them with as many people as are interested. And so if you're not on the Humanize Me mailing list, go to barbcampola.org or go to humanizemepodcast.com. And just just get on the email list. It doesn't cost anything. And it's it's you can delete it if you don't want to read it. But there's some good stuff I think we're doing. And uh, and thanks to all of you who write, who call, who send smoke signals, who send good vibes, whatever it is that you do that let us know that you're you're digging the digging the show and that you're living the life um, in that in that kind of positive, loving intentional way that we're always talking about here all right we'll be talking about it again soon next time on humanize me gosh didn't i sound like a radio guy i hope so see you soon 
For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life.